welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I am joined by Vishal Varani, and he is UK Head of Health at YouTube, helping to bring high quality and accessible health information, credible sources to YouTube. Uh, he's also the founder of Doctorpreneurs, the global community of healthcare innovators. I actually forgot you were the founder of Doctorpreneurs, mate, but we can definitely talk about that as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Co-founder, but yeah, definitely. Co-founder, still- yeah. But, um, oh, mate, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. We, I feel like, I feel like Google, you mentioned it the other day, like, I feel like Google's my second home at the minute with like the events that we do and like meeting <laughs> you there and going for lunch with Amber and Marie. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I'm part of the furniture, with this, which is a, a fantastic, humble brag to, <laughs> to start this with um <laughs> yeah, but mate, yeah. no absolutely got, you, got your favorites in the canteen now i, 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 I literally do well, I literally, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds terrible doesn't it um cool mate as i say absolute pleasure to have you on you, you are doing some awesome stuff went to, i obviously went to that youtube health event that you did the other day which was great fun like announcing what you guys are doing from a strategy perspective and i was kind of blown away i mean i wrote i wrote the, that forbes article afterwards um about your strategy and it was pretty well read in the health tech community and the main feedback that I got was like I had no idea that YouTube were even doing any of this but it makes loads of sense obviously you guys are an open platform that anyone can put content on and so god in an age of everyone being so hot on like software as a medical device and like advice and who says what to who and who listens and obviously you guys having that responsibility and and meeting it with what you're doing with the health shelf, which we will come on to. But as I say, that's a bit of context for everyone listening. But um, yeah, pleasure to have you on, mate. You're a, you're a, a well long time health tech guy, aren't you? With lots of different uh, health tech things under your belt, not least entrepreneurs, which I'd forgotten about. Um, bumped into Avi the other day, went to an event with him, who I believe is the other co-founder. Um, so yeah, like, as I say, you've, you've done a lot for a long time with Ada and all the rest of it. So um, it would be great for our listeners, mate, if you could uh, tell us the long version of your story and how you got to being head of UK health, uh, head of UK for YouTube health, even I should say. Awesome. Thanks for having me, James. And uh, it certainly isn't a linear journey where this was always <laughs> the intended uh, destination. So if anyone's out there hoping to get a blueprint, then I'm sorry, uh, I, I don't have one. But I think that is the nature of uh, of kind of most careers outside the kind of medical space, actually. And so, you know, I did my F1, F2, and partly because it was a conveyor belt of sorts, um, I wanted to step out and see see what else was out there. I mean, actually, I think some people really appreciate the conveyor belt and allows them to really focus very deeply on one thing that they enjoy, that they're good at, passionate about. So brilliant. You know, in that way, I think a medical career can be fantastic for lots and lots of people. Uh, For me, I wanted to explore different things. I didn't want there to be just one right answer to a particular problem, which inevitably there is often in the medical world. So I went out, did... um, consulting for a few years, uh, healthcare consulting. And and I guess that's sort of a fairly well-trodden path for folks who leave medicine. Um, You know, having said that, I think that there has to be some intentionality that goes into that decision because it's not for everyone, the kind of, you know, 
the, 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 the nitty gritty of it in terms of the hours, the nature of the work is, and actually the pay is not always that positively comparable to medicine. So, you know, especially in the early years. Um, but, but if you enjoy the business world, enjoy solving business problems, then I think that you would enjoy that, that world of consulting. So I did that for a few years and it was great exposure for me. I loved it. Um, and so very quickly I realized that I wanted to stay outside of the clinical world um, and, 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 you know, tackling uh, strategic issues for big hospital groups or for med tech companies or for elderly care home groups and, and you know, advising investors on whether they should or shouldn't make the investments, um, I found very stimulating. So did that for a few years, actually jumped out for one year to do consulting in a non-healthcare setting. Um, that was an interesting learning as well, because I, I guess I didn't want to be pigeonholed as a health person. But during that one year at uh, this company called OCNC Strategy Consultants, I realized that, you know, there's value in the leverage that you have as a healthcare person. Um, and once you step away from that world, actually, it's tough because you're competing with lots of other people. And it's all about the hard skills that you have or don't have and how you perform on any given day or week. Um, you don't have any credit in the bank because of your healthcare experience. And so um, it was it was an eye opening experience, did it for a year. But actually, so I was like, I, I then told myself, I need to be back in healthcare. So went and did um, a few years at Ada Health. And um, and, and so that was my first foray into the digital health space. And that was that was a great adventure. I would say to date, even though I'm having really good fun at YouTube so far, it's still, it was like, it's been the most fun period of my career because actually, and you've done this multiple times, you've been on both sides of the fence with it, right, James? But when you are in the in the weeds with a digital health company, um, or I guess any, any startup really, it's just, that's just a lot. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of challenges as well. But, you know, I got to do a few different roles, did some biz dev, set up our kind of NHS partnerships here, then went off to the US for a couple of years and, and set up a couple of interesting um, health system partnerships out there. And um, then worked on implementing the deals that we signed um, and then got very involved with product development with clinical research as well. And so, you know, I think I touched a lot of different areas um, during my sort of three and a half years at ADA. Felt I'd done a lot of the learning that I could have done and so jumped out, spent about six months at RB. Um, so those are the guys who own the Lempset brand, Durex, um, Strepsils, all that sort of consumer healthcare, um, all those consumer healthcare brands, and I was in a digital health role there. That was really interesting. I mean, I, I guess that from there, anyway, we could dive into a bit more later, but the role of digital health in some of these consumer healthcare and pharma companies is, is an interesting question, which is uh, very much unresolved currently. Um, and then I uh, found myself at YouTube. And so, you know, it's just one of those things. I think I'd applied for a Google Health role a while ago. I was on the books and they reached back out to me and said, look, we're starting up a health team at YouTube. Would you like to join? And I have to be honest, when I first got the call and went through the process, I mean, I was kind of like, let's go through the process because who wouldn't go through the process when YouTube reaches out to you, I think. Um, but as I was, I was like, wait a minute, what am I actually doing here? Because a bit like what you're saying, it's like, what has YouTube got to do with health and how much impact could they possibly have? And how meaningful is this endeavor? I think that, you know, if you're a, a, a kind of conscientious healthcare person, that that's a very important question that you always ask yourself, because basically every every woman, man and his dog wants to get into healthcare these days. Um, and most people fail 
even some of the really big companies are, 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 or maybe not failing, but really struggling to figure out where they fit in in this landscape. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was sort of questioning, oh, does this make sense? Am I actually going to be able to do anything meaningful? Am I going to get stuck in this big corporation w- without any teeth to make an imp- to make changes, etc.? So anyway, you know, I think that it's, uh, it, it, it's, it, it's not unreasonable for people to turn around and say, oh, I can't believe YouTube is doing these things. I had no idea. Um, so anyway, yeah, I went through the process and um and yeah i've been here for a couple of years and it's been a, a really good ride i think that it takes a while warming up into a role and it takes a while when the core focus of your work is is with the nhs it really does take a while to embed yourself and and and, and to sort of see the fruits of the labor to be honest so it's been a slow burn but i think we're definitely starting to build momentum now so anyway i'll stop there and that's obviously my sort of day job pathway and then along the way as you mentioned doctorpreneurs is something that i'm heavily involved in as of sort of 2013 2014 actually it was doctor it was a doctorpreneurs event that got me my first job um in consulting and so how you know i i'm more than happy to talk a little bit about sort of the power of networking and actually meeting people in person and, and what that can lead to um so so there was that then there's been various sort of advisory work with digital health companies which uh, which which is good fun but not as much fun as being in the weeds like I was at with Ada, to be honest. Um, and then, you know, I do some work now as a governor for the Royal Free Hospital, which I, I would recommend to, to anyone, actually. It's a really good way to get an understanding of how a hospital, how an NHS hospital operates, the challenges that they face. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying you can make massive impact as a single individual governor in that role, but I think it's a great learning experience. So, yeah. What an obscenely good CV you've got. It's like an OG digital health CV, that. That is unbelievable. Ada Health. I mean, you you pick, you can pick them, can't you, mate? Like, <laughs> you, well, you know, yeah. I mean, I'll show you. There's a slide I present because I sometimes do lecturing at sort of um, business courses, business schools, or whatever, and they they sometimes get guest speakers in and and sort of tell us about your journey. I'm like, well, you know what? I'll tell you about my journey as a business school person. You've probably always thought about your linear path about how you'll go to consulting and go and become a partner there. And actually you'll do an MBA along the way to boost the CV, but here's my CV. And then it's a, it's a zigzagging line um, of, uh, of a journey, which basically says, um, you know, this is a literally hitchhiker's guide to, uh, Mm -hmm. to how I got to where I am. You know, I did this, Sometimes I think you try to be too intentional about these things and it can be a bit boring. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's been fun. <laughs> I definitely want to talk to you about this. So non-linear. Now, when you think of that graph, right, now that these are going on YouTube, I can, I can do some hand signals and people are going to, some people that are watching on here are going to go, I mean, right? So you've got a graph. You've got this graph of your career, right? And you've got time along the bottom on the x-axis, which I, th- I think is the x-axis. God, it's been a long time since the mass. The y-axis. <laughs> now, so. you've got this zigzag, right, of like this non-linear element of your career. Now, the y-axis here might not might not be tangible of what you actually mean. It might be an amalgamation of things. But I think this is a really interesting concept, which is the difference between that as a medic and what you're ingrained in in your understanding of what a career is which is f1 f2 ct1 ct2 possibly ct3 and then st4 5 6 7 8 consultant junior senior retire it's it's very 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 linear progression straight line upwards isn't it and i think that can come along with as you mentioned a conveyor belt mentality which might either be incredibly frightening or incredibly comforting i think what you've talked about is that in the health tech and digital health sphere, this 
chaotic nature of up and down and the realization that you can be on a path that starts one way that goes another you can that x-axis might be salary it might be seniority and job title it might be how you perceive sector it might be all of these different things but i think it's a really interesting mentality to think that a career is non-linear. It's non-linear. It might be non-linear for, sa- linear for salary. That gives you more options, by the way, to jump different places. It might be non-linear for job title, in which case you are the winner because it gives you more options. If you're not expecting every single time to go better job title, better salary. I think I can remember when I was looking at other things from medicine and when I released myself from the... Uh, from I suppose those that that shackle of this has to be a pay rise, this has to be a better job title, or like you know job title maybe not necessarily, but it has to be a certain salary. If I just released myself from that and go, well, hey, actually, I'm willing to start at the bottom and do something different, and we see it at Somex now, like medics that are willing to leave and applying for like a like account exec jobs and that kind of thing. These people that are willing to start at the bottom and get promoted incredibly quickly, by the way, um, because they're just willing to prove themselves, but like. I think that's such an interesting and freeing concept that I think people can get attached to where they're at. And then that obviously extends into living below your means and all that kind of thing to actually enable yourself the optionality. But I think that's a really interesting thing to pick out first. The second thing I want to pick out in your journey is this word, which I absolutely love, which is intentionality. And you caveated it by saying you don't want to be too intentional about things and make life boring. And of course, there are times of order and times of chaos and actually making dis- intentional decisions that allow for both is is an option. But obviously not being too intentional and, t- and too prescriptive about things to, to make your life dull. But still, though, coming at your career with a degree of intentionality, I love that. I, I absolutely love that, that question a few things like, why am I here? And a wonderful question that you asked how meaningful is this endeavor and and challenging yourself to ask yourself that question. And I love what's baked into that, which is that you are self-aware enough to know that you are going to get job satisfaction from a meaningful endeavor in your work. And not everybody is wired that way. The point is not that this is wonderful because you're looking for meaning in your endeavor. The point is, I think from a career's perspective, it's wonderful because you know that of yourself and that you're optimizing for that. And I love that. And I love the variety that you've therefore had in your career, as you say, with this, you know, jagged line up and down to get you where you are. Um, And ultimately just caring what you're doing, I suppose, less than the metrics that indicate that what you're doing is great to others, because frankly, who cares? I love that, man. Although you are now a governor, so maybe you are attached to the title. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot more grandiose than than, than it actually is, right? The real people who make the decision are the the Neds, the non-execs. I don't even know why we have governors, but that's a whole separate topic about NHS efficiencies. (laughs) Oh, no, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Um, Why don't we jump in then to... Something that you that you mentioned that you might want to talk about, which is part of your journey was uh, RB previously. Was that Reckitt Reckitt Ben Heiser? Is that my saying that right? Yeah, Ben yeah. Ben Heiser. Um, yeah, ben Heiser. Yeah. The yeah the farmer brand. Um, they do consumer health, strepsils, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They are doing digital health, and you had a digital health role. Talk to me about that. What 
What did you do? What does a digital health component department do within a pharma company? Is it companion apps and stuff like that? Is it other things? Like, talk to me about that. That's interesting. It's really challenging, um, to be honest with you, is, is the first thing I would say, because you are fighting for relevancy when you are in a digital health role in a pharma stroke consumer <laughs> healthcare company. When I say consumer healthcare, I guess I specifically mean over-the-counter medications. You know, I know consumer healthcare can be lots of different things, including a lot of the sort of um, patient triage apps, etc. that are out there. But I'm talking over-the-counter medicines or prescribed medicine companies. Um, they have very much a very mature portfolio of revenue generating um, products. And they are on the sales and marketing, on the post-clinical um, trial side of things, very traditional in their way of thinking, which is let's market the hell out of this drug and let's put it in as many different locations as we can, or let's go out to as many different doctors in the case of a prescribed medicine as we can and tell them about it. Um, and let's maybe not divert dollars away from that core marketing uh, activity. And therefore, when you work in digital health on the post-clinical trial side, and I, I'll tell you in a minute why I'm making that distinction, then basically you are trying to argue that you should be given some budget to build, as you say, maybe a companion app or some type of adjunct to the medication that's being taken right. uh, without any clear idea of the revenue that will, mm. that will be generated. Because it just eats into margin. It's just an extra cost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's about, is it going to generate revenue? And also at what margin? Because you know what? We're making damn good margin from mm. our more mature portfolio of drugs, which we've got a patent on or which we've got a really well-known brand around like Strepsils or Lemsip. So why should we now build a companion app for Lemsip? How is that going to help us? Yes, it may improve the user's experience. So yeah, that's fine. Or, oh, okay, there's a theory that it increases their adherence and therefore they'll see more impact from the drugs. Like, okay, that's fine. But then it's your classic case of sort of, you need to prove that out. The challenge in a, in a big company like that is, well, if you want to prove that out, um, that's going to take expense and time. And, and actually, the people who hold the budget to do that are the same ones who could punt more of it into marketing. And so that's the biggest challenge I faced at RB. I was basically fighting against marketing budget most of the time when I was doing the work I was. Um, the reason I make the distinction post and preclinical trials is because I do think in the drug development phase, there is some really interesting digital innovation happening at pharma companies. Pharma in particular, I think that over-the-counter medication companies like I'll be that bit's less of a thing because actually you're you're, you're mostly messing around with generics with established um, uh, active ingredients. You're not trying to create anything brand new. But on the pharma side, you have a lot of AI-powered drug discovery platforms out there that pharma are starting to use. You have a lot of innovation, digital health innovation around optimizing clinical trials. Um, and, you know, both of those areas, I think, are ripe for innovation. And they will lead to meaningful benefits for pharma companies, whether that's in terms of literally being able 
able to find new ingredients to, to put through the pipeline, or whether in terms of improving the quality and the efficiency of the clinical trials, which is such a humongous expense for these guys. Um, and so, you know, that's helpful across the board for small pharma companies, small biotechs who are looking to then sort of sell out, be acquired by the bigger ones, because they're all about the clinical trial phase. They don't really even care about this sales and marketing. But then the bigger guys as well, because they want to do some of their own innovation. They don't have to spend multiples of EBITDA acquire, or EBITDA, you know, multiples of, of, well, actually, it's not even revenue. It's just millions of dollars based off of God knows what to acquire some active ingredients from these up and coming biotechs, right? They want to do some of it themselves. So I think there the digital innovations can really help. The side that I was sitting on, on the sales and marketing, it's, it's much more challenging not to say that they ca- that it can't work. There are some really interesting partnerships out there. You look at the likes of Huma, the likes of Ada, they have formed partnerships with pharma companies. But what I will say is when you look under the bonnet of that, what is the impact that is actually being created? And is it uh, a pilot or is it the 10th time they've done the same innovation because they've proven it works? And and most of the time it's a pilot and there's no impact that's been proven yet. So a really interesting role, lots of learnings, but it is quite a challenging space, I would say. Now, on that learning and those challenges, you have got experience digital health company, fast growing venture back digital health company, Ada Health, now global, etc. You've been a doctor, you've co-founded Doctorpreneurs, you've worked in pharma, you're governor at Royal Free, so you've got an eye on the back end of, of the NHS and internal workings of a trust. Um, you've got such broad experience across health tech, which you've done that as quickly as you possibly could have done in terms of the moves that you've made consulting as well and doing that in healthcare and non-healthcare has given you background in different things. It seems like you've amassed this knowledge base and this understanding of so many different areas of health care and health tech. Do you think moving on to YouTube health that that has basically paved the way to the role that you have now? Because head of UK YouTube health essentially requires, I'm I'm assuming if you're going to change that platform for the better, you need an understanding, like any communications and content, which by the way is our game, so I kind of get this, but I'm interested in your opinion of like knowing everybody that's likely to put content on your platform has to be a massive advantage and knowing what they all want from it, what they might do with it and how different audiences are going to perceive certain content, the trouble that you might get in from regulators and all these different things. Like it seems like I can understand why YouTube health have reached out to you based on the experience that you've got. Is that your experience of being in that role? I mean, tell me about the role and how your experience, I suppose, whether it does or it doesn't help you. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think that the, the biggest common threads in my career around the soft skills that I have developed over Mm. the years. And maybe this isn't a good term, this idea of hard and soft skills. I need to find a better delineation because I talked about soft skills at a a business school lecture I was giving to the sort of UCL Global Business School of Health recently. And, you know, Mm. one of the students said, well, actually, I find soft skills really hard. And and I think hard skills are, are, are actually quite straightforward. So, you know, I don't mean to say one is easier than the other. I just mean the things around how you 
um, how you network, how you build partnerships, how you basically build relationships with people, um, how you maybe try to put together three or four quite different concepts or organizations together to create some to create something um, meaningful. So, so it's you know it's all of those things that I have developed through my career, that intuition about what makes for a good partnership, etc., that I think have been really helpful. And so, yes, to your point about understanding the ecosystem, I do think that's critical in a role like this, um, trying to understand also what it takes to work with the NHS and, and sort of how to go about that um, it, it is, is really critical. So, so yeah, you know, I think, I think that, but, but, you know, I think the other thing I would say is that sometimes what you realise once you in a role is lots of people could have done that role and I was just there at the right place at the right time and grabbed the opportunity that came my way and you know that that is the truth of it even some people who are starting up businesses which requires a lot of talent for sure and hard work there's an there's a decent element of luck there as well that you know you had the idea that probably hundreds of other people had you had the conviction to follow through with it but actually it was the right time in the market and hey you picked up one or two really used the really big and loyal clients early and suddenly you had runway. Um, and, and, you know, that just, it, sometimes the stars align. And so, uh, in, you know, this role, it doesn't require any really deep expertise um, in, in, in anything massively complex. So I think lots of people could do this role. Um, it's, it's great that I, I do have it. And I, th- and I also think that different people would have taken it on in different directions, um, actually, which is, I guess, the beauty about a role like this, I was given a blank canvas and so it could have gone in many different directions and it can still go in a lot of different directions going forward. So, um, so yeah, I think that it has been really useful to learn how to build partnerships, to, to understand what makes for a good partnership, um, to understand who's out there in the ecosystem. Yes, I think those things are very helpful. And in a way, those things take time. You can't just sort of learn them from a course or learn them from a book over like a, cra- a, a summer holiday period or an in-between jobs period. You know, I think that it takes a while to build out that uh, to build out those those kind of skills and, and, and expertise so so yeah I think I think lots of people could have done the role but uh, but but yeah some of that network building takes a bit of time you've alluded to a few of the things that you you must then do in that role particularly around the partnerships um, so let's talk about YouTube health why does YouTube need a health department so the reality is that there are a lot of people consuming health content on the platform and there have been since day one and i guess that we hadn't quite understood the extent to which that can be a force for good or a force for bad until maybe a few years ago um and and so going back to that word again around intentionality it very much applies to the the genesis of youtube health so we could have continued um, the, the kind of process whereby people are accessing lots of different health content on YouTube. Some of them are gaining lots of benefit from doing so. Others are maybe questioning the information they're finding. Others still are extremely confused because of the conflicting information they're finding. And, you know, that could have just continued as it was. Uh, but I think that we decided that we needed to put an intentional set of product features and partnerships in place in order to optimize that experience for viewers because 
healthcare matters and getting access to the right information in the context of healthcare specifically is life or death. Um, and, you know, we are clearly at the scale where it truly is life or death uh, for, for people in terms of the number of people accessing the platform and the amount of time they're spending on the platform. There's a, a significant degree of influence um, on people's lives uh, that, that that is kind of wrought out by, by YouTube. And so that's the reason, I guess, that we went down this road. And, um, you know, what we then very quickly realised is that we had to do this in partnership because we as YouTube don't really know. Yes, I'm a doctor and Garth, who heads up the, the overall sort of health team globally, is a doctor. But the majority of folks at YouTube, all of the product team, all of the marketing people, they're, they're not doctors. Uh, they're not nurses. They're not healthcare professionals. They don't get it. And so we've we have been working with sort of the local health authorities in each of the geographies where we are active uh, from day one. Um, and, and so, you know, I would say that this has been very much, everything that we've done has been very much a part in the UK with the NHS and, and we've had them guiding us in terms of the approach that we take and, um, and and so you know I think it's been really helpful to to go down that road and ultimately what we found is that that the quality of information that people are accessing will improve through through the kind of interventions that we are making um, there are lots of challenges and it's a massive balancing act because you don't want to push people down a particular road down the road of only nhs content because actually they came to youtube to hear from a diverse group of voices if they just wanted the nhs they would have spoken to their doctor and left it at that they would have just read the leaflet their doctor gave them and left it at that so we are mindful of the need for diversity uh, but we're also mindful of the opportunity that we have to provide that diversity on the platform and so you know a lot of what we're doing is around implementing the right product features to raise up high quality health information that is verified then working with the those accredited, credible uh, health organisations and individuals who can provide the information that we raise up and working with them, especially to make that content more engaging. Because sometimes, often you'll find that with these health institutions, the content is authoritative, but it's dry. Um, and, you know, I know this is what a lot of your work is about as well. It's like, how do you bring some of these topics scientific topics to life and you've you know as you've found actually there is a way of doing it that there is both an art and a science to this but you can bring that topic to life you can make that emotionally impactful for people and so a lot of our work once we have these health institutions on board and on our side is to kind of um up level that the engagement of the content that, that they are producing. Um, and then the other part of this is to understand that there are a diverse group of individuals accessing our content. So in terms of language diversity, cultural diversity, geographic diversity, and so catering to all of those different needs. So you don't just need one video about bowel cancer screening. You don't just need 10 videos, one in each language. Actually, you need 100 videos because some of them need to pay attention to the cultural nuances around, you know, what individuals would be worried about in the context of bowel cancer screening tests, for example. And so there's so much uh, to be thought about. Uh, and, and so I think that, that bringing some degree of intentionality to it was really critical is what we realized a few years ago. I absolutely love that. There's so much in this that I want to talk to you about. The first thing I'd like you to do, though, is can you tell our listeners what the health shelf is? Because the health shelf, I think, very neatly 
draws all this together into a very tangible, practical product update that you have done. So tell us about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so the way it works is that for any and every health topic that you may search for on YouTube, near at the top of the search results, you will see a shelf that's labeled from that's labeled from health sources, and that contains videos specifically coming from authoritative sources. If you click on any one of those videos, there will be a label under the video that says from an accredited institution, or in the case of the UK, it will say from an NHS organisation. The idea is that we're providing context for the type of information we are making available to our viewers. Underneath the health shelves, you will see content from a plethora of different sources, all of which has been sort of vetted for misinformation. Any misin- any content spouting misinformation is, is removed immediately from the platform. So it's still correct information, but it will be catering to different people, but also it will maybe be coming from different non-authoritative sources. So the extent of the content that we have on the platform is available, but the health shelves provide some context for people that want that authoritative information. Um, and so we've worked very closely in the UK with the NHS on launching those health shelves. So they put together some content standards. We've asked every single NHS organisation in the UK to attest, uh, self-certify against those content standards. And those that do are then eligible for inclusion in the health shelves. Um, in due course, you know, look, thinking back to that point about diversity of content, we are looking to expand the eligibility eligibility criteria of those health shelves to also include non-NHS health organisations. So health tech companies, the likes of which you guys are working with, for example, can soon be included, as well as individual healthcare professionals as well. Um, so actually, our work is to upskill any authoritative voice in the ecosystem. But we've started with the NHS for now. Mm. So interesting. It's such an opportunity, isn't it? Well, there's there's a couple of things here. The, first, the What I want to actually talk to you about is responsibility versus opportunity, because there's both, I think. It's obviously the, the past your past Google itself, I believe the second most visited website, the second most popular search engine. So... Yep that obviously comes with both. People are searching for health stuff and therefore there's responsibility on your side, which you're meeting and some. You're working with Academy of Medical Royal Colleges, NHS Digital. You're putting together this health shelf of verified information. You're tackling misinformation. Your goals are to raise up verified high quality information as well as the diversity element, which is incredible. And you've really grasped, I think, that responsibility side. As Thinking broadly now as Google, I suppose there's also opportunity in that if you're directing people to the best information that walks that line of entertainment, good information, and isn't going to upset any regulators or in fact upset anyone, it's going to be entertaining and informative and safe. There's then opportunity because it becomes more self-fulfilling in terms of people are then going to access the right information. They're going to be directed to more of that information. It becomes just a more popular platform just because people are getting the right information and the best information. So it seems that there's both, right? It seems that there's responsibility, which clearly you've taken and grasped. But there's also opportunity because I suppose with YouTube Shorts and things like yeah, whether saying alternative social networks is is not is, is allowed or not, but you know the TikToks of the world and 
all the rest of it that, that people are starting to search on and things like that. I think there's also opportunity for YouTube there, right? In terms of in terms of you guys actually becoming the place where people want to search this stuff because health does need context. Health isn't going to be solved by TikTok short videos. It's certainly not going to be solved that way. There are more problems that can be solved with longer form. And I like long form. You know, I'm in the content game. I like long form. I've done 300 episodes of this podcast. Like I, I love long form because of the context and what it allows for. And I think when it comes to the content that can go on YouTube and what it can do, it falls into two broad buckets, which I know that you talked about in your strategy, Dave. And this bit really chimed with me, which was someone on stage, it was a doctor that said it, and I can't remember who said it because I wanted to ask them to come on this podcast, actually. I'm going to get in touch. You have to figure out who it was. But they said, they got asked the question, which is how do you make sure that all the, all the information on YouTube is evidence-based? And the answer was incredible because the person said not all good information in health is evidence-based. It is often anecdotal patient stories that deliver value in community and sense of belonging. And I was like, I was just blown away by that as a statement because they are absolutely right. And it was a clinician, it was a doctor that said it. And it was in that moment that I suppose like so much just got unlocked for me in terms of clearly what the opportunity is for YouTube as well as like meeting the responsibility of who's searching and what are they searching for? Because of course, if you're diagnosed with a condition and you want to learn from people that how you might improve your life, you're not necessarily going to go to a clinician who's going to give you evidence-based tips on this, that, and the other, or evidence-based criteria to do this, that, and the other. Of course you want to listen to an individual with a, with a personal story and an anecdote and real life and, and to see it and to feel it. And, I just, I, I thought it was incredible that like as part of the YouTube health strategy, you had things like community and belonging and these words to uplift not only, to your point, the, the drier evidence-based content, but actually this anecdotal patient real stuff. You might call it real world evidence, arguably, I don't know, but you're not collecting it en masse. But um, I thought that was fascinating, man. I don't know if you can talk to any of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a really good point. I think that the truth is the reason we talk about community and belonging so much in the context of the health strategy is because at heart, that's what YouTube is and that's mm. how it's grown up. And, and so actually that's very much the YouTube first thinking seeping into our healthcare strategy when, right. when we look at that community and belonging piece. And so, you know, that is why it is so important for us to be in the healthcare game because we have, we come at it. Now I talked about the partnerships we formed and the need to be buttoned up on the responsibility side, but we inherently come at it from a very different perspective to that traditional approach that the NHS might take in a way, because it is about creating and empowering a community of, of individuals to, uh, to share their story and to, teach each other about about topics and so i know i've talked a lot about authoritative health institutions and about health about individual healthcare professionals but you know there is so much valuable content on the platform which is individuals lay people teaching each other now we need to be mindful of the of the types of things they're talking about and to make sure that they are not sort of going down misinformation pathways etc but for us that's a really incre incredibly important part of the uh, of the platform and therefore of the strategy um, and you know it goes back to this idea of connection so content 
that, that you create has to connect with the viewer. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the things that we're really big on at YouTube is that everyone should find their niche. Into, so the content creators need to find their niche, but viewers need to find their niche as well. We're not about mass media. We're not about create something that the whole world will fall in love with. Um, and I know you get a lot of talk about viral videos, etc. But for us, it's actually as meaningful when there have been a hundred views of a really niche topic but all hundred of those views have had, let's say, 80, 90, hundred percent retention on that, on that content. And it was a 20, 30, 40 minute video because that is an incredibly deep connection that that content creator has made with those hundred people. Um, and so those mass market messages that are sometimes helpful and necessary in the healthcare space are being, I guess, partnered with these more deep, meaningful, empathetic messages that you find on the platform as well. And I think you need both. Um, and, and so we're really big on that. And, and so as you say, he talks about long form, long form is massive for us. Um, and it always will be short is a great opportunity. And it caters to certain sort of types of people at certain times of day or certain need, needs that they have. But long form will probably always be the heartland of what we do. Um, and, and so there's so much to be said about building that connection uh, with, with a viewer and making them feel like they belong on the platform. Um, and so, so, you know, we've tried to bring that into our healthcare strategy alongside the kind of the, 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 the responsible approach uh, and ethos that, the, that working with the NHS has, has and AOMRC has allowed us to, to do. I love that, man. So what does Head of UK YouTube, YouTube Health do on a day-to-day -day basis? You talked about partnerships and setting up a lot of this stuff and setting up a lot of this strategy. Um, I think obviously doing those partnerships with Academy of Medical Royal Colleges and Di NHS Digital and, and all those different NHS organisations and that kind of thing. What's, what's on your radar now? I mean, how, how are you spending your weeks now at the moment? What are the goals for YouTube Health? And yeah, how do you want to see this play out from here? Yeah, so broadly, there are two goals that we've got. One is around maximizing the quality and the quantity of content that we have available for, at least for now, our top 100 conditions um, top 100 most searched for conditions on the platform. And so that objective is achieved by working really closely with our core partners uh, on the NHS side and the health charity side, but then also figuring out ways to provide scaled support to a broader range of health organizations, health tech companies, healthcare professionals, and also trying to reach out to more of those um, players who could be valuable as content creators on YouTube. Because, you know, I think that it's almost a little bit like being a VC where we're trying to uncover the, 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 the potential and the talent that is out there and nurturing it from a very early stage. Um, now, you could further the analogy and say we're trying to get them get to them before tiktok gets them or inscribed us but you know <laughs> the reality is i think it's best for people it's best for people to be on all platforms if i'm honest uh, <laughs> but what we're trying to do is just identify um 
organizations and individuals who may be interested in leaning in. I'll give you an example. You know, Liz O'Riordan came onto, uh, came into our world because she attended the YouTube health event and was a panelist. And on the back of that and the things she heard at the event, she's now set up or I would say reignited her YouTube channel. If you have a look at it now, there's some fantastic content on there. And this is someone who hadn't really thought much about YouTube prior, an incredibly influential, powerful and expert voice in, in the space who could have real impact if they got themselves on YouTube and, and were creating content. And so, you know, that is an example of, of what I'm trying to spend some of my time doing, uh, trying to uncover those those gems and, and give them the impetus and the tools to, uh, to crack on and sort of create a channel. The other side of what we're trying to do is build the YouTube health brand. You said it when you when you sort of wrote your brilliant Forbes article that so many people came to you. I had no idea this was a thing that YouTube were doing this. And so for us, it's not just about the content creators unearthing those. It's about getting making sure more and more people are coming to YouTube to consume health content and feeling that it's a credible and valuable destination for consuming health content. Um, and so, you know, that is a lot about going out there to the industry, speaking to different people, building the right relationships with the NHS, speaking to people at AccuRx and saying, look, you need to embed YouTube content into um, your kind of clinician um toolbox that the, the toolbox you provide to clinicians so that they can they can then share those videos with their patients when they've been newly diagnosed with asthma or they've been newly diagnosed with diabetes um, or they're about to have an MRI scan and and so you know that then becomes a lot more about working with the industry um, and, and, and and trying to sort of raise awareness about what we're doing but building a responsible foundation which we can then go and shout about. So that's where the sort of the, the relationship with the AOMRC with NHS England really helps say that we're building something in the right way. That responsible approach that we're taking is now unlocking an opportunity for more and more people to come onto the platform and consume health content. So those, I guess, are kind of the core aims. And therefore, I then spend my time on both of those objectives, I guess, almost equally, which is about speaking to lots of partners, trying to attend events, trying to do research, desk research, saying who's, who else is out there, looking at the traditional media the likes of Liz Arid and the likes of kind of Ellie Can and Philippa Kay on, on the TV and saying, look, who, which of those influential voices maybe want to try to pull onto the platform? Um, and, 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 you know, and then the other thing we're doing is a lot of collaboration. So the NHS on the back of the event that we had has now had phone calls with like 10, 15 of our health creators who want to contribute content to the NHS channel. Um, they want to help. Um, and so those collaborations and now trying to work with my colleagues outside of health with the likes of KSI, the likes of, you know, Sidemen and Dan Rhodes, the magician, all those really, really interesting uh, creators, the likes of Mr. Beast, Mr. Who's the Boss, you know, those guys who are so big on the platform. How could they help with our health initiative? Um, uh, and, and so, you know, that's the sort of thing that I'm also trying to do. And that's where it's all about kind of finding those unusual collaborations uh, in order to sort of meet the objectives that we've got. I absolutely love that, man. And I want to finish by just highlighting a word that you've mentioned so much on this podcast which is collaboration now a lot are you'll know this a lot of big tech projects in healthcare have come and gone over the years a lot from all the big names a lot of these kind of health initiatives have come and gone there it feels like in healthcare, and you'll know this from being on the other side of the table as well for most of your career, that it often feels like these big projects are done to us. 
in healthcare. And it feels like them versus us of like, well, they have done this thing and they want us to get on board with it. And it often feels that way. This feels very different because you've, from the off, you've, you've rarely talked about like kind of what you practically are doing. It's more like, well, with so-and-so we're doing blah, with, with so-and-so we're doing blah. It's all, it's, it's very much a strategy that's, that's housed in, we don't know it all. And, we're going to listen first. And these are all kind of business principles that just make sense. That if you have resource, but not the direct expertise, of course you should go and work with others. And it's interesting what you said actually about how the general vision mission of YouTube has crept into the health strategy around community and belonging, because it kind of feels that way just about this whole thing, about that ultimately this has to be collaborative because if these are our goals, we cannot meet them alone. And I like that. That's why that room at that strategy day had a feel of collaboration because everyone was in the everyone in the room, everyone on the panels was totally different. You had patient representatives, you had clinician representatives, you had creators represented, you had Google and YouTube represented. So like it was it it was it was a vibe of like, well, hey, what we're doing here is actually with all of you it's not like hey we, we're doing this thing and here's why it's going to be profitable and amazing and here's what the impact we're going to make with all the profit it's kind of not that it's it's kind of like look we've got responsibility here to do some stuff we're going to do that but actually we want to do it really well so can you just help us actually get it right and and do it well like it, it it's got that kind of sense to it i feel which i think is largely i mean it's why i wanted you on the podcast man because like i feel like it's different to so many of the things that have already come and gone and and it's almost like you're not trying to do it for, for brand or name or any of that stuff. It's kind of like, this kind of just needs to be done. So we have to do it. We're just going to do it well. And I, I just think that's really nice. And I, I, you've mentioned the word collaboration so often. I think it's worth just bringing up. And as I say, it, it, this isn't a flash in the pan technology project. This is an, this is an acceptance that one of the stats from your day, 18 to 34 year olds spend 70 minutes on YouTube a day on average, seven zero. That is an unreal statistic that if you follow that cohort of people as they get older, what does that mean for how we absorb information across everything? I think if you're not creating content on YouTube, be you a healthcare, health tech organization or individual or any other that wants to build a personal brand or a brand full stop, you're missing a trick because as that age group gets older, their habits will stick. Um, and who knows what the next generation will be doing, but they're going to, they're already being brought up on YouTube. Right. So I think it's, yeah. it's going to be a massive opportunity missed for those people that don't get involved in it. No, absolutely. I'll just say two things very quickly, James, mm. on what you've talked about. The first thing, yes, from the get go, work really closely with uh, local health authorities. And I would say credit to, to Garth and our leadership team who held very strongly to that principle because it was really hard going with um, the likes of the NHS in the early days. Because as a global platform, sometimes it will be really easy to say, we're going to take one single approach, one size fits all, and we're actually just going to do it our way. And that is the way we roll out all of our products at YouTube, at Google, because that is how we've become so big, because we are we, we know how to scale very quickly um, and we know how to pe make people do things our way because 
sort of we've changed the way people search for stuff on, on the internet, right, for example. Um, but with the health vertical, we recognize that it could not be done that way, it had to be done in collaboration. So I would say, you know, a lot of credit ends up going to the leadership team and to sort of the way you shape this from the get-go, but then also to fighting the corner of that principle in the in the midst of the lead, the lawyers, the marketing team, the PR team will all come around and say, actually, this just makes it really hard, guys. You want to do all this stuff in lockstep with the NHS, it putting so many restrictions on the way we operate. Um, but, you know, ultimately, obviously, is it's, of course, the right thing to do. The other thing I'll say is that basically YouTube is the world's greatest facilitator. And so inherently, you know, collaboration is in our blood. And uh, it in a way makes it easy. Well, not makes it easy, but I would say that we live or die by the collaborations that we've got because we're fully dependent on the creators on our platform to create content. We're fully dependent on the people that come to our platform to, to, to consume the content. And, um, and, and so, you know, I, I, we talk about collaboration a lot because I don't think we would survive. We wouldn't be here without it, to be honest. So it is a nice role to be in that way. Um, and it does enable us to bring lots of different interesting people together uh, for, for a great cause. So, so yeah. I love it. Vishal, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, mate. If you want to leave our audience with one thing, what would it be? Whether that's an ask, whether that's uh, something that you want to inspire them with or just something that you think matters, mate, what would you leave our audience with today? Well, I would say, I would say you know, work on something that that is meaningful to you and that you are passionate about and all of the other rewards, whether they be financial or career progression, etc., will come in due course if you sort of stick to the, those two principles, work on meaningful things and be passionate uh, about what you do. Lovely. If people want to get in touch with you, Vishal, at YouTube Health, um, you personally, I assume LinkedIn, but how can they, how can they find out more about what YouTube and YouTube Health are doing? So yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn's great. Um, the the other things to do i mean to get on the platform is have, have check out the health shelves we've got a website which is called health.youtube um i believe so you can have a look at that to get a bit more information about kind of the youtube health initiative but yeah i would say you know as i said it's all about collaboration reach out to me on linkedin if you guys have any suggestions any questions and of course we're always very keen to get more people creating content health content on youtube um so please do reach out if you're interested in doing that whether you're a health tech company a healthcare professional healthcare organization whoever you are happy to have a chat with you and, and try and sort of get you on the platform love it thanks for sure Thank you, James. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.